in similar circumstances. Lord, we pray that you will grant comfort, that you will grant encouragement, whatever is needed uh, for these children of yours. Lord, we celebrate life. We celebrate life with birthdays. And so, Lord, we celebrate with Judy and Max and Grace and Sharanjeet uh, that they can testify to the passing of another year of life and especially of life with you. So we rejoice with them and pray your blessing upon each one in uh, the coming year as well. We pray your blessing upon all of us as we live each day as your people in your world. Lord, we also continue to pray for the work of Project Canefire. We pray for the Myers as they finish their work in Guadalajara and as they transition later this year to uh, a new situation, moving back to Grand Rapids and taking up a, a position there. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for the way in which uh, we've been able to partner with Ben and Amy through the years for the ministry that they have accomplished, for the way that you have used them uh, to, in the work that they've done. We ask your blessing upon them uh, during this time. Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunities that we also have to, to share in the ministry of Good Samaritan. The offering this morning is for his house and for uh, that particular ministry as it seeks to connect with, uh, with dads and to encourage them to, um, to be better parents, better husbands, to know that they're not alone sometimes that, and to guide them along the way of life. We think, too, of moms and tots. We think of the, the pantry and, and the whole ministry. We're thankful for uh, the way in which you use this ministry to bless so many people. And we're thankful that we can be a part of supporting it. Lord, again, we thank you that we come to you and, and you speak to us. And as we move into... Uh, reflecting on your word this morning, we pray that you will guide us. We pray that you will help us to, to hear what we need to hear, but more importantly, what you want us to hear. And by your spirit, speak to us and remind us that we are loved and that we are worthy because you love us and because you have made that that possible. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be reflecting on what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. 
It's appropriate uh, following Easter to think about what Easter means and to celebrate and appreciate what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do that this morning with these words from Paul in Romans 3, beginning at verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is God's word for us this morning. Excuse me. I had a friend a number of years ago um, when I was beginning as a pastor. And every time I visited this friend, he would always comment about how disappointed he was that certain churches weren't, um, didn't have the Ten Commandments as part of their, ser- as part of their service. And over time, I wondered why he was so stuck on this uh, ritual in worship. And it wasn't until after he had passed away that it began to sink into me that there was some genius in what he was saying. Because he was understanding and really, in a way, celebrating or appreciating the reality of when we hear the law, when we listen to the commandments, we are reminded that we need God. We're reminded that we're not able to live up to that perfectly, that, that we are sinful, that we are in need of a Savior. And in essence, that's what Paul has been writing about for the last chapter and a half leading up to this particular passage All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. He says so again this morning in in the passage that we read. All of us, or none of us, I should say, will be declared righteous by means of the law. Which is to say none of us can keep the law perfectly enough that God will say, Great, welcome into my kingdom. But now, Paul writes, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known. This righteousness is apart from law. It is through faith. It comes through faith, and it is by grace. This morning, we want to spend some time unpacking that a little bit and, and thinking about it in a way that we can appreciate what God has done and celebrate it. 
this righteousness from God is apart from law, although the law and the prophets testify to it. We understand that in light of uh, Good Friday and Easter. We understand that it is apart from the law, but also pointed to throughout all of Scripture. One of the stories that Luke tells us was that on that very evening, two disciples were on their way to Emmaus. Jesus joins them. He asks them what's going on, why they're so sad, and they explain to him why they're so sad, and what does Jesus do? First of all, he rebukes them because they haven't been paying attention. They've been paying attention to the wrong thing. But then he starts with Moses and works all the way through the law, teaching them about how it all points to himself. As the one who, through whom God brings life. It has to be apart from the law. Because none of us can live up to that perfectly. In Matthew, we read about a conversation that Jesus had, uh, first with a, a young man and then with his disciples. A young man came to Jesus and, and said, Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, Well, you know the law. He recited most of the commandments. The young man says, I've been doing that from, being, from the time I was a, a little child. If you know the story, you know that Jesus says, great, but you're still lacking something. You're still missing something. Well, what's that? Sell everything you have and then come follow me. And the rich young man goes away and the disciples are like, whoa. If somebody who's been keeping the law since they were a little kid can't make it, who can? And they're right. An illustration we use in in catechism uh, to explain why this is so important is is this. If you were to put Jesus on a ladder of righteousness, we would have to put him at the top, right? Then you ask, okay, so where would you put like Mother Teresa or, or any other great person. It'd probably be kind of high up there, and then where would you put yourself? And the point is, there's always going to be a gap between the highest righteous person and Jesus. And Jesus addresses that. He says to his disciples and to us, with, God, with man, that is impossible. But with God, it is. And it is because God reveals a righteousness that is apart from law because none of us can keep the law, but God can still make a way. The law was designed to teach us that we're sinful. To teach us that we're no better than Adam and Eve were. So that we could realize and appreciate what God did to fix the problem, that gulf between us between us, and him that needs to be dealt with. 
this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. It comes through faith to all. Paul's argument has been, he's been dealing with this this issue within the church, uh, even from the early days, between those who have grown up in, in the knowledge of the scriptures who've been favored by God's blessing upon the people of Israel as the chosen people through whom he's going to spread this good news. And the Gentiles who uh, don't have all of that, yet they're still on equal footing before God. Because the righteousness that we need is not based on the Old Testament scriptures, it's ba- or, or anything, I'm going to get in trouble if I keep going that way. But the righteousness from God that we need is something more than just what we know. It is based on faith. Well, what is faith? I think to demonstrate what we're talking about, we go back to Abraham in Genesis At one point, we are told that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. The circumstances around that saying were this. Abraham trusted God, heard him calling, come from, go from Chaldea to Canaan. He's living in Canaan uh, according to that promise. And part of that promise is that he's going to have a son through whom All of the other promises, you know, you're going to be a great nation. You're going to have descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And a number of times, Abraham grapples with God about that. At one point, he says, okay, God, you know, we've been doing this for a while. And and it seems to me that the only way this is going to be resolved is if... uh, This all happens through Ishmael. And God, again, says, no, that's not how it's going to happen. He takes them outside, and they look at the heavens, and for whatever reason, this time, Abraham gets it. He believes God. He doesn't ask again. He just trusts God. And what he does is he trusts, finally, that God will do what God says he's going to do, And so he has to live his life with that awareness. It's the same for us, isn't it? We have to trust that God did what he said he was going to do when he sent Jesus into the world. That what he did on Good Friday and Easter is indeed sufficient to fix that relationship, that hole, that gulf that exists between his righteousness, and our unrighteousness. Later on, Abraham is challenged again. God says, okay, take this son of the promise, the son that you love, sacrifice him. Unbelievably, Abraham does that. A passage in the New Testament comments on that event and says Abraham reasoned that even if he received Isaac back from the dead, which he probably would, 
And in the way he did, he was going to do what God asked him to do. You might remember that whole scenario is, is uh, couched in the statement that Abram makes to Isaac along the way. Where is the lamb that's going to be for the sacrifice? And Abram says, the Lord will provide. And at the end of that story, it is said that on this mountain, the Lord will provide. Well, thousands of years later, that's exactly what God did. And that's exactly why we're here this morning. We appreciate that God did what he said he would do in Jesus Christ. It is through faith, not through our work. It comes by grace. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood to demonstrate his justice. God understood what he needed to do. And that was to provide a way to deal with the problem of sin and death. It is grace. It is his gracious gift to us. Again, going back to a story in the Old Testament to illustrate what this means. You go back to David at this time. David did a horrible thing. He committed a, uh, had a one-night stand with Bathsheba. He ended up killing her husband in order to try to cover all of this up. And then he takes, kind of takes his gracious responsibility to bring her into the household after his death, thinking, okay, we've got this handled. Nathan comes to confront David. David realizes that he has sinned against God. And I would think that he was probably shaking his boots because he understood the ramifications of that. He could have been killed right there. Man has sinned, man will die. He could have lost his position. He could have lost the, you know, with Saul. When Saul disobeyed God, God took away his spirit from Saul. He even took the kingdom from Saul and gave it to someone else, to David. But Nathan says something interesting. Don't worry, David. The Lord has taken away your guilt. You will not die for this. You're going to live with the consequences for the rest of your life, but God is not going to take you out of the book of life because of this grievous sin. Why would God say that to David? Because he's got this plan. He's not going to punish all of our sins on us, give us what we deserve when we deserve it, he's going to fix it. He offers his son as the atoning sacrifice for sin. It is his blood that makes us righteous. It is his gift. It is God's gift to us by which he is able to welcome us 
into his kingdom to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my rest when that time comes. But you see, it also, Paul also tells us that he had to do it in a very specific way, in a way in which not even the adversary of our souls could have any, find anything wrong with it. No loopholes, open and shut. That's what that just and justice part of this passage is about. In his grace, God provides the answer, which we receive by faith, because the law and the prophets and even the New Testament point us to it. In Jesus' death and resurrection, we have life with God forevermore. Okay, so what do we do? How do we live on the basis of this understanding? How do we appreciate, how do we celebrate this in our lives? First of all, be gracious. Think about what God has done and why he has done it for us. Because he desires our fellowship so much that he was willing to do what we could not do, to do the impossible. Don't be like the unmerciful servant who received all the grace from the king, went out and couldn't be gracious even to a fellow member. Take that a little step further. Not just got to be gracious with the people that we celebrate with as a part of the kingdom of God, but with all humanity, with all people. What does that look like to live graciously based on the grace that we have received? Be faithful. Live as Abraham did. He lived in the land of the promise all those years, never saw, other than the birth of his son, never saw any part of that reality. He screwed up a lot. He didn't do it perfectly. None of us are going to be perfectly faithful living out that promise in our lives. But he took God at his word. He believed God and lived his life out of that promise, out of that belief. If we appreciate what God has done, if we want to celebrate what God has done, make it our goal to do the same. Be a student of God's word. Our righteousness is not dependent upon it, but it tells us a lot about where it comes from, what it looks like. We can go a lot of places. We can go down a lot of rabbit trails. We can believe a lot of things. But at the end of the day, or preferably at the beginning of the day, we want to hear God speak to us. We want to base our opinions and our, our facts on what he says. 
because he's done the impossible for us and for his world. And we are his people, as uh, the psalm said at the beginning, who are under his lordship, who are um, under his banner. We receive all the benefits. We receive all of the information to help us live as his people in his world. To his honor and to his glory. Thanks be to God. Amen. Almighty God, we give you thanks and praise this morning because of what you have done and what you have told us about it so that we can appreciate and celebrate this good and awesome news that you love us so much that you made a way to cross that gulf that exists between your absolute righteousness and our unrighteousness. That you saw the need even before you created the world and you had a plan to take care of it. Thank you for gracing us with this good news that we might be part of your kingdom. That we might live in the the hope and the realization that we have life with you for all of eternity, but also for now. And therefore, Lord, bless us with your spirit each and every day. Feed us and teach us by your word that we may live as your people, celebrating and appreciating all that you have done as we interact with each other and with the communities around us. We pray this all in your son's name, who died, who rose, who lives, and who reigns with you. Amen. Let's stand and sing together once again. I will sing of my Redeemer.